It's time to make the dough rise, the financial podcast with Brian Doe. It's time to make the dough rise. Once again, Walter Storholt here with Brian Doe, certified financial planner at Living Worth Wealth Advisors, serving you in the Lake Country and beyond with an office in Greensboro, Georgia. You can find Brian online at livingworth.com. Get info on the podcast and lots more information as well, livingworth.com. Brian, great to be with you this week. How are you, sir? Not bad. Just for uh, context, today is the first day of fall. We've recording this on September 21st, and it has cooled off and is quite pleasant in South Georgia today. Yeah, it's just kind of flipped on a dime and became beautiful weather, and uh, I've been enjoying it, getting out in the yard a little bit and not sweating, working on projects, Brian. It's been a nice change all of a sudden. Yeah, I can breathe again. <laughs> That's right, exactly. Well, hey, we're starting the show off today on a positive note, talking about the weather turning for the better. It doesn't feel like there's a whole lot positive out there for us to grasp at these days, Brian. I feel like uh, all we hear about in the news is negativity, 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 pretty much all the time. And on today's show, we want to try and uh, you know challenge that mentality a little bit. Yeah, if you turn on the news, it's pandemic and the fires are burning out west and we've got this crazy election and, and now the uh, Supreme Court vacancy on the radar. And so it is going to be a crazy, crazy couple of months. And I don't know what, what's going to happen or, or what happens, but, you know, in the midst of all the riots and, you know, noise going on, I've had some really good conversations with clients about some of the positive things that are happening. And so I'm dedicating this entire episode to good things, trends that are happening, uh, futuristic looking things that will help people see past some of the short term you know, madness that we're, we're seeing on the, on the news. It's a little bit of our own version of the Good News Network. That was the, did you see that from the, at the beginning of the pandemic? The guy from The Office, John, John Krasinski? Yes, yes, I have seen Jim that. Jim character, yeah, mm-hmm. started the Good News Network. So he just did a whole news broadcast of nothing but good news. And I think he did like, I don't know, five or six episodes. Then it got actually, someone bought him out, NBC or somebody, actually bought the rights to the show. So it's like, well, that turned into a nice little Who coronavirus knew? Yeah. venture for him, right? Very good. Pretty good. So our own version of that, all good news, hopefully, on today's show. All right, so where do you want to start? Well, uh, if you've listened to the past episode on the Matthew Principle, we talked about the the power of compounding and incremental growth and, and putting your most productive resources with your most productive people and the, the payoff to that. And there is an application or an acceleration of that concept that's happening in in the world today but but first i want to tell you about a i'm going to take you back to the early 90s it was my first job out of college i worked at a a college who in the in the recruiting office and the admission office and we would have student events where new students would arrive for the fall or we had visitation events for students who were looking to join the college and the college president would get up and he would hold a styrofoam cup up and he was this was his you know attempt to sort of inspire and and, and captivate a, a young audience about the future and he said in my day the styrofoam cup was developed because we had the problem of keeping hot stuff hot and cold stuff cold and this was the solution that revolutionized refrigeration and shipping and, and food 
transport and storage and, and all the other things that, that came along with that. He said, but the problem is, is yesterday's solution can become today's problem. So now we have landfills filling up with this non-biodegradable material, and that is the, the new problem, and it is going to be on the next generation to solve, transform, come up with a new solution that's, that's better, potentially cheaper, and, and eliminates the bad byproduct of, of today's solution. So I thought, yeah, that was kind of clever. That was that was you know a cute example, and I, I never really it never really dawned on me the the magnitude of it. But if you go back to I'm going to take you way back now to the early 1900s. Okay, so we're in the very early stages of the Industrial Revolution. We've got you know people amassing in the you know towns like London and in New York City, and we all know what. Horsepower is horsepower was derived from the you know the the energy that one horse could produce, and it was horses that was you know driving society at the time. But what was happening was horse manure and you know byproducts were piling up in the street, literally piling <laughs> up in the streets, and it was it was creating a health hazard. It was creating a disposal problem. Uh, a lot of this was finding its way into the waterways and was was polluting the the water and and so you just had this very unpleasant and, and unsanitary conditions and if the industrial revolution was really going to kick in and you know take hold everybody was doing the forecasting based on how many horses we were going to need to provide the energy and the movement of goods and the all, all the things that had to happen. And the, the projections were that, you know, the, the streets of, of our major cities would be, you know, 10 feet deep in, in manure to have the horsepower, literally horsepower needed to, to make all of this happen. So again, at the time, it was doom and gloom projections. They were extrapolating current circumstances into the future and they were coming up with a very grim outlook for the future. But what happened was this convergence of technologies. And, and if you go back and you look at, oh, about 1903, 1904, you know, just, just before the, uh, the car and the, the Henry Ford's assembly lines got going, you would see about 95% of the, the streets of New York were horse and buggies horse-drawn carts, and occasionally you could pick out a automobile in the mix. So let's call it 95% horses, 5% combustion engine automobiles. By 1915, we were at a tipping point, and you had about half ca- half cars and vehicles, half horse-drawn carriages. And then just two years later, the cost and the availability of of combustion engine vehicles had exceeded the cost and, and productivity of, of the horse-drawn vehicles and carriages to the point where we were at 95% combustion engine vehicles, 5% horse-drawn. And, and so this transformation early on looked like a fad. It looked like a gimmick. It, it looked like, uh, you know, just an oddity to the general population. But within about 15, 14, 15 years, 
all of society made this shift. And it was the convergence of the development of the combustion engine, Henry Ford's development of the assembly line, and the ramping up of the petroleum industry. So it was those three things converging that literally transformed the Industrial Revolution, the sanitation on the streets of major cities, the speed and ability to to, to get around and and uh, you know, I, I think a lot of the horses out there were were quite happy for the development too. Yeah, they uh, got to you know go off to the pastures. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, not not out to the pasture, but you know what I mean. Uh, yeah, just go, go relax a little bit. They didn't have to do all the heavy lifting anymore. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's good. Amazing. I feel like this is going to be a common theme where we see these problems get solved, and then those solutions become the next problems. <laughs> so we've got to find fixes for the solutions that are fixing things. Yeah. Okay. So so you know the styrofoam cup was was a nice little metaphor. Uh, but this actually this actually happened in the past with a, a technology with automobiles, and but now think about how the development of the automobile transformed the entire rest of our world for decades to come. You know, we had parking lots, we had moved to the suburbs, we got smog, gridlocked traffic lights. We've got all the infrastructure of gas stations and refueling stations. And we acquired the expense of purchasing vehicles. It's interesting when you kind of threw out those stats of the combustion engine and the horses. That was a pretty fast transition. I mean, especially for back then, the pace of technological change from 03 to 15 and 17 in just a matter of five, uh, 15 years mm-hmm. to completely flip from 95% horses to 95% combustion engines, and especially that last half. It went from 50-50 to that 95% combustion engine in just a two-year Just year a few span. years, yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so it's, it's, this, it's this exponential technology, this exponential development, and, and you have to have a solution that is better and cheaper than your previous one. That, that is a caveat to this. But the projections now, and well, everybody's seen Tesla, Elon Musk and, and the development of, of Tesla and the electric car is, if you're not aware of that, I, I don't know where you've been for the last five, <laughs> five years or so, but Elon was, was clever. He came out with a, a status item, a sports car that was far better than everything out there. It was faster and better. And, and he, he really started from the ground up and re-engineered the electric car. But by it becoming a status symbol and a high ticket item, he used that then to develop a less expensive version and less expensive versions of the car. And so I, I think we're at that tipping point or, or earlier in that, you know, maybe five years into that, that transition where we're moving to electric vehicles. But the other feature that is getting incorporated into these is the autonomous driving. And that probably freaks most people out today to think about turning over control of the operation of a vehicle to a computer or or sensors and things like that. But Google and, and others have been putting a lot of money into autonomous driving vehicles. Well, that's computing power, uh, sensors, and then the electric car are all going to merge together to create an autonomous driving vehicle that 
you're not going to have to own anymore. We're actually going to move. You're, you're seeing this with BMW now where you can get fractional ownership of a vehicle. It's almost like a boat club where you, you, you pay a dollar amount to get in. And then if you need an SUV one day and you need a sports car the next day and you need a sedan the next or a crossover, you, you can just swap what vehicle you get. So that this idea of fractional ownership is also percolating up out there. But if you get to the point where, or if you've ever hailed an Uber uh, through the app, we're going to, the projection is we're going to get to a position where the ability to summons a self-driving vehicle, and, and it may be reading off of your calendar or your schedule or your GPS, and it, it, your smartphone may actually know when, uh, can almost predict when you need it. And the cost of ownership or the cost of utilizing that is going to go down dramatically from owning a, a regular automobile, not just in the purchase price, not just in the cost per mile of operating it, but also think of all the other resources that you have that you allocate to a vehicle, garage space, could be totally transformed and converted into, you know, a, a home studio or an extra garage, a, a living room or TV room or movie room, something like that. You're not going to have to have this $50,000 chunk of metal sitting in your, your driveway or your garage. You're not going to have to pay to take care of it. And you, you're going to get a lot of savings, but then also the ability to repurpose space that's that's currently allocated to this vehicle. Now that that sounds like a huge leap forward from where we are today, but in 5, 10, 15 years, I I think it's entirely possible that this transition could take place and as people see the the benefits of it and the lowering of cost and then the ability to take commute time, which is is currently aggravating, one of the reasons I moved out of the city and turn that into a, a productive time of some sort, it'll be very interesting to see what, what happened in that space. And that's something that I definitely keep an eye on because I would not be an early adopter by any mm-hmm. means to an autonomous driving vehicle, but I feel like that'll be a lot like the horses. It'll take us a little while to get to that 50-50 tipping point, and once we do, it'll then go very fast, the speed of change, I think, when it comes to autonomous driving and that sort of thing. And I can absolutely foresee a future where the majority of people don't own a vehicle. And it's there will still be that premium of self-driving vehicle, and you still just want it literally at a moment's notice and still to have it, and that other people aren't in there with their you know butts in your seat and that kind mm-hmm. of, that kind of right. idea. But for the average American, I could certainly see a day where you know you'll have a car within five minutes just by pressing a button on an app and you'll pick which one you want. And just like Uber now, you can choose between the, the SUV or the normal sedan and that kind of thing. It'll just pop right to you. I think it's, it'll be very interesting to see how well, and, that develops and, over time. And, and, and I live in an area where there are multiple uh, retirement communities and there are you know 55 plus communities. Imagine... One of the biggest losses of autonomy mm-hmm. is losing that, the ability to drive. That's that's exactly where my mind was going next. I'm thinking about my grandmother and how much she has fought against losing her driving driving privileges, essentially, and how difficult that's been for her mentally. She's so active 
and she doesn't want to give that up, but pretty much has had to at this point. And it's, it's very limiting. Yeah. And so if you could press a button on your iPad and a vehicle shows up, that's, you know, very accessible and easy to get in and out of, if you can get to the grocery store and get to, you know, run your errands and get out and about and, and get to the places you need to be, you can maintain that autonomy and independence and mobility far past your ability to actually drive. And hopefully my parents don't listen to this episode, but we always cringe a little cringe every time our kids get in the car. We're like, well, okay, let's, you know, let's hope this turns out all right. But, um, you know, you're, when your eyes go and you're, you know, processing time again, like I talked about, we have two eyes, two hands, two feet, and we see straight ahead. Man, would you put multiple sensors, cameras, and navigational devices onto a vehicle? It's it's no stretch to imagine how that could be dramatically safer than an 80-year-old body trying to maneuver down the highway. I, well, I just was rewatching the movie iRobot recently. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that one? And when he pulled... He he pulls out. So it's it's futuristic robots. Everything is autonomous vehicle driving. Everyone has a personal robot basically in your house who helps you with dishes and chores and all that. And you know, of course, the robots kind of develop a mind of their own and take over. And it's a Will Smith Will Smith movie. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, it's really funny that yeah that you mentioned that because that's exactly what he does. He's very anti-robot in the movie. Will Smith is. And so there's this one point where he goes to an old an old storage unit and pulls out a motorcycle with like a, combu- a combustion engine. Uh-huh. And this this girl that's been following him the whole trip, she's part of the this like head robot organization or whatever. She's riding on the and she's like. I can't believe you have this. She's like, does this run on gas? <laughs> like, <laughs> gas explodes, you know? And <laughs> right, right. She's like shocked that we would ever drive a vehicle that had that was run on gas. And like, that's how people in the future will probably look at how us. Primitive. Like, you guys drove around with this explosive material underneath <laughs> you? This is, that's crazy. <laughs> I'll have to check that one out. Yeah, you'd like it. it I, I liked it from a few years ago. It was a good, uh, good little movie, good action movie. Will Smith, iRobot. It it's got some good twists and turns in it. Yeah, but, but I mean, th- these things can happen fast, and th- they are a function of the availability of, of technology. And I know a good example would be the uh, streaming or downloading of uh, video. You know, when 3G came along, I think that took the time to download a, a movie down to, you know, like from about an hour from 2G down to you know, maybe five or 10 minutes. And then when 4G came along, that got it down to a couple of minutes. And 5G technology is right around the corner, and it's going to be like a near instantaneous download for a full-length feature movie. Because I remember in the 90s, everybody was talking about streaming, on-demand, and it, it seemed like it took longer to get here, like the promise was always there. But once the technology kicked in, then you know now we've got, I don't know how many streaming services I'm subscribed to, Disney Plus and Hulu. Too many. And, yeah. <laughs> It's Apple TV and you name it. We've we've got them all. Spotify. I I thought Redbox would be a revolutionary thing, and it only was for a very short period of time. And now, like I, I'll never have use for going to a Redbox or anything like that again. I mean, they've. I can't believe they're still sitting outside of grocery stores at this point. With just how easy it is to 
stream content and movies. And even if you don't want to subscribe to the services, I can just go to Google Google's app and rent a movie for three ninety nine. Mm-hmm. Most most movies, and you know, boom, I watch it, and I have forty eight hours to watch it, and. If I don't finish it in the 48 hours, it's just like the old days. you got to re-rent the movie and watch it again. Like, yeah, but it's a few bucks, zero know. trips to the uh, the store. and yeah. yeah. And you can decide right then and there which movie you want to watch instead of having to decide at the grocery store. And then you, you kind of change your mind later and wish you'd gotten something different, you know? Yeah, if you start a bad one, you're not locked into it. You can you can just stop it, rent another one. That's right. That's right. Bail out and rent rent again soon. There's the, oh, we got to make another trip to the store and uh, and change that. So it's pretty amazing. What what else? You mentioned a lot of things have come from uh, that Peter Diamandis thought process. Anything else that yeah, that Pete, has caught your eye? Yeah, let, let me talk about him for a minute because he, he he's the one where I get all of these ideas and information. And uh, Peter Diamandis, uh, for those that don't know, I've talked about him in previous podcasts, but he's very much a futurist. He started some companies that were on the edge or on the frontier of space and and space related type things. He actually started a company called zero G where you could do the zero gravity training simulation that astronauts did. And he repurposed an old 727. And I think he did battle with the FAA for about 10 years to get permission to fly a 727 in parabolic arcs so that you could have this simulated zero gravity training. But it was a um, it was just a passion of his, and he did it. He's he's very much a futurist. He runs it a group with a group of executives on uh, transformative tr- transformative technologies and, and what that means for their businesses. But he also started a competition called the X Prize, and he wanted to encourage or stimulate the private space exploration industry. So he, I think he corralled about $10 million and put it out there as a prize for the first company that could come up with a reusable spacecraft. And so it had to be something that they could launch into orbit, bring back to earth, relaunch into orbit. And the idea was to get uh, private sector innovation and the cost of getting a orbital vehicle down because if you have to build a new ship every time you go, that's very expensive. But if you can reuse it, your cost per mission goes down dramatically. Well, it took a number of years that prize set out there, and then but eventually, uh, Richard Branson with Virgin Galactic and uh, Elon Musk with SpaceX and and others in in competing for this, eventually somebody actually solved the you know, the, the challenge and, and won the, the $10 million prize. Well, he has since taken that X prize concept and said, well, gosh, whatever, what other problem or, or what other need is out there that we could come up with this challenge to, to spur, you know, private sector innovation. And one of the big ones that's underway right now is a, the creation of a tablet-based teaching device that could take a you know, a young child or an, an illiterate child and get them to basic literacy, reading, writing, and you know proficiency for the cost of what, maybe a $600 tablet and get them up to speed in about 18 months. And, and his idea then is to transform illiteracy, particularly in the third world or 
in, in poor areas where you don't have the teachers and the infrastructure, you could use technology to scale this up and just you know, put a tablet in a kid's hand. And if they work through the, uh, the program, within about 18 months, they would be able to read and write and, and better communicate. Well, that prize has been in place for a number of years, but they've got five prototyped solutions that are in the field right now. They're testing for results and efficacy. And the the final winner will be granted the prize and then will have created a, a, a technological solution that takes teaching and the ability to to go from illiterate, illiteracy to, to you know, functional literacy in a very short amount of time in a very cost-effective manner. So there, there, there's all these really cool, clever solutions that he's coming up with XPRIZES for. And if you get a chance, I mean, you, you can check the, you go just go Google XPRIZE and you can see all the, the, the prizes that are out there today. When he puts them out there, they sound a little far-fetched. You know, they're, they're a little on the, the frontier of what people think is possible, but with the com- with the combination of the right people, the right resources, the right ideas, and the right technology, these these things are actually coming to fruition. If you want to see something inspiring, just go watch one of those recent rocket launches where, in the onboard view of the rocket returning to Earth and landing on a platform in the middle of the ocean, absolutely amazing. I mean, it just takes your breath away. The precision and the speed at which they bring it back down and then slow it down right before it hits the mm-hmm. deck. I mean, just amazing. The precision and accuracy and uh, thinking about the work that it took to pull all of that off with angles and trajectories and all the different factors they have to take into account. Just amazing. Uh, well, it, it's amazing it, how innovation happens. And also when there's a little financial incentive behind it, how yeah, that motivates and, people. And, and they've, they've, they've taken the, the, the financial incentive was to you know, create this breakthrough. But now look at SpaceX has put the first manned launch into space and it it kind of got overshadowed by all the coronavirus and, and political news but that is a major massive breakthrough for the private sector and the other thing that is making this the space and and uh, spacecraft market lucrative is the number of satellites being put into place to make all of this happen global positioning satellites a, a whole network of uh satellites that could deliver high-speed internet anywhere on the world. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that's going to be coming from this technological revolution. But it started with the idea of just challenging people, you know, private citizens and, and uh, organizations to, to solve a problem. And it's uh, so anyway, P- Peter Diamandis is the guy. If you want to learn more about him, I'll recommend some of his books later. But uh yeah, he's he's behind a, a lot of these things. All these things are so impressive, Brian, when you look at them that way, and I love the incentive behind these things. Well, we just keep getting uh, bigger and bigger and reaching for larger and larger heights, and it keeps happening so fast. Yeah, and, and there's a uh, concept called Moore's Law that we should you know, definitely introduce here and may, maybe should have sooner, but the the thing that has been happening, and again, this is like the compounding of portfolio values or that Matthew principle we talked about, but Moore's law was, I think he was a uh, scientist or researcher at Intel, and he noticed that the computing power or, or the number of transistors that you could fit into the, a, a chip 
was doubling every 18 months. And th this has been taking place since I, I think the late 50s, early 60s, and it, it has continued to this day. And we are to the point where by about 2023, for a $1,000 know, price tag laptop, you will have the computing power of the human brain. Now, that, that is like a 10 to the 16th power computing capability. That, that's how many neurons and, and uh, synapses that we have in our, our brain. And so to reach the computing power of the human brain is a major milestone. And that, that's where a lot of the power to crunch all the data and the to do the analysis and, and design and learning from all of this stuff is going to come from. But if we have 20 more cycles of this doubling, so that, that could happen in 15 years at this rate, you know, 15 to 18 years, that same thousand dollar laptop that I talked about will have the computing power of every human brain on the planet. So imagine a, a machine that has the computing capacity of every single human brain on the planet. It's sort of like my, when I start talking about trillions and, and trillions, it's, a, it's an incomprehensible uh, concept. So now we can include computers into the joke of, you know, how many does it take to screw in a light bulb? How many right, computers right. does it take? <laughs> if the, if, once they get on this equal footing as us in, in the year 2023. Yeah, I, I don't know what power to the 10th that, that would, is going to be, but uh, 10 right. to the 16th right. is even past my comprehension of, of trillions. It's a lot of zeros. It is a lot of zeros. <laughs> Hard to imagine what that's going to translate to. I know that there's lots of talk of uh, kind of morphing, you know, like the movie Matrix, becoming more reality, kind of merging our brains with computer chips mm -hmm. so that we can then keep up with the computers getting smarter than us. That's a little bit creepy to certainly think about. Yeah, and well, and it's, it's kind of happening. We're to a degree with our phones attached to us. We're part cyborg now. We've got this, you know, capability in our pocket that it's unimaginable. 20 years ago, what conveniences and, and uh, power that we have assisted by this device. Now, it's not planted in our brains yet in a, as a microchip, but that may, that may be around the corner. So we'll see. But we've seen it happen with overlays like Google Glass and things mm -hmm. like that, where you can wear a pair of glasses. And then we've heard of this augmented reality type things with your phone, mm -hmm. where you can use your phone's camera and look at the world around you. But instead of seeing an exact representation, uh, objects, facts, ideas, things can be overlaid and triggered as you move that camera around, sort of a virtual reality thing. So you think of the implications of that continuing to be added into, you know, then becoming, a, you know, glasses and then a lens and then maybe eventually implanted. But even if it never went that far and it just became a lens or something like that, but you're walking around and it'd be like the movies where you see your friend coming down the street and you can tell, you know, it'll pull up details right there on your on your contact lens of, oh, that's right. You know, pull up your like uh, your old Rolodex, right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, that's right. Uh, be sure to ask about, you know, the, their brother's health and um, has two sisters. Ooh, I, and, need you know, <laughs> I need that. I need that. Wouldn't that be great? Like help help recognize people when you see them and remember you like good questions to ask them next time you see them. You could log that 
into your brain and then it'll pop that up next time you see them. I mean, that would, that would be like having my wife, Laura handy. She's, she's always good with the details. Of- That's my wife too. Yes. Yeah. Yes. She'll <laughs> ask people that I know for years details about them that she's only met them one time and somehow found out all this information about them. So yeah. She knows the kids' amazing. names, the dog's names, their grandmother's <laughs> health, uh, all that She's stuff. asking their, about their, their cousin's brother's, mm-hmm. you know, ailment that I'm like, you have a brother? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, telling, very telling. It's, certainly, we've got somebody listening to the show today who's now like googling all of these things that we're uh, that we're that we're talking about, going and trying to find them and uh, add them to their to their computers and to their devices and that sort of thing. Well, maybe we'll provide some links at the end of there the show go. here, and we can we can move on to the to where all this is going and and what this means for for individuals. What how you can actually take advantage of what to be watching for and how you can take advantage of some of the things coming down the, uh, the pipeline. So uh, the concepts that you should be aware of is for a transformation to happen, if something can be digitized, democratized, and demonetized, that's the trilogy of measurable or, or concepts that are going to merge together. Let, let me give you an example. Photography used to be a very expensive and kind of time-consuming. You had to have film, and you had to get the exposure right, and you had to have a, a separate camera you know, to, to take the photos, maybe a flash. Well, as photos became digitized and they became universally available, I think pretty much everyone has one on their phone. It's, it's already built in. The incremental cost of producing one additional photograph is basically zero. Now, you could still go have it printed, and there could be a cost to that. But you've seen an explosion in the number of pictures taken. And so now instead of having you know, a box full of uh, 36 shots per roll and, and maybe a, if a few hundred photos, I don't know about you, Walter, but I think I've got over 100,000 photos on my, uh, on my hard drive. And I love to go go through them and just drop in on different places, but uh, it, it's it's absolutely exploded the number of, of photos that I've taken. So many, and we notice that just with you know in the business of working with audio files and video files, just how much more storage is available, and then how much more you're creating, and it's it's amazing. Uh, good thing that uh, we we've been able to move everything to the cloud and haven't had to keep buying bigger and bigger storage drives, right? Exactly. So what you're seeing with with the the phone, and like I mentioned, it has your camera on it. It's a web browser. It does uh, video calls, phone calls. It has GPS navigation. It's a video recorder and player and apps to do all kinds of things. If you tallied up all of the things that a modern cell phone does, maybe $800 to $1,200 for a top-of-the-line digital smartphone, every one of those technologies that has merged together, if you had bought them when they were new, that's literally a million dollar device that you're carrying around in your pocket. You know, GPS would have been a couple hundred thousand dollars. The video conference call would have been a couple hundred thousand dollars. The cell phone, the, the mobile phone, the camera, each one of those things. I think if you tallied up what those originally cost, it, it would be fair to say that it would have cost you close to, at least 900000 to close to a million dollars when those technologies became viable. And now we're literally walking around with them in our, in our pocket. And what's going to happen is the, the 
connection of sensors and this smartphone and you know, GPS tracking and products that we use are going to merge together in healthcare, wearables. We're seeing a major shift in retail and, and as I mentioned earlier, education. And one of the big ones that I think people should be aware of is the, the, the wearables in the healthcare space. Now, have you ever heard of the Whoop Strap? W-H-O-O-P? Whoop, no. Okay, so Whoop Strap is it's kind of like the Fitbit or they've got the sensors on the Apple Watch now. And it shoots a little laser down into your, just below your skin level and it monitors blood, pulse rate. And it, it's able to measure a number of different biometric indicators. But one of the most interesting stories that I've heard recently was a golfer who was wearing one of these devices and not really on the radar was a particular measure for the number of breaths per minute. And all of a sudden it spiked. It went from like 14 to 16 or 17. And so the, the strap and the app that w goes along with it alerted and said, your number of breaths you know, per minute has suddenly gone up. Now this is in the middle of the you know, coronavirus outbreak. So he went and got tested. Turns out he was positive for COVID. So it was an early indicator to him that there was something wrong. They got tested and it was positive. And so they kept him out of the tour, away from people and prevented him from potentially spreading the, the coronavirus. Well, that's kind of a great thing where the device was actually pointing out or indicating a problem ahead of a, a human's ability to detect it. You, you can do a number of things with these wearables. And again, to that person who's you know, maybe aging or you're concerned about being alone or, or uh, getting the help that you need when you need it, these wearables can become a great indicator for something that's going wrong that we're not consciously aware of and it can alert you to what help you might need getting the right care and it, it, it's just it's, it's impressive and amazing what these things will do there is a element of concern about privacy and you know i, I think the, the big brother there, there's going to be an adoption issue but when you outweigh the benefits that some of these technologies and solutions will bring I, th I think there's going to be a mass adoption uh, as they become cheaper, as they become more familiar and, and, and other people start talking about it and, and sharing the benefits. Well, Brian, I'm sure we could continue to go with more and more examples of this, uh, of this idea, of this concept. But I love this. The whole idea of today's show is to focus on things that are hopefully getting better in the world or how it's at least changing and to take a little bit more positive spin of what's happening out there rather than all the negativity that we've heard. And I feel like we've done a pretty good job. Now, some people may not view implanting chips into our brains and that kind of thing as necessarily a positive development, but you know, it's at least not something that we can, uh, you know, disagree on too heavily right now since it's still somewhat in the future. Yeah. And I think the, the big takeaway that I've come to realize is that there, there's just way too much focus on the negative. Your negative catches the headlines. Negative is what our brain looks for you know, to, to be on the, on the alert or, or aware of what could, could potentially go wrong. But 
shifting that focus from the doom and gloom and the idea that we can fix all of our problems by just sending more money to the government, I don't think that's the solution, at least not the solution I'm looking for. But if you can focus on transforming the obstacles, providing the innovation, the adoption, and the preparedness for what's coming, I think I think we're going to see a, a division into two categories. There's going to be the people that are, woe is me, they aren't looking positively to the future and figuring out what do I need to do to position myself for that and be ready for that. And then there's going to be those that look ahead, they're positive-minded, they're going to educate themselves and, and prepare themselves. And I would argue that that's, that's the category you want to, to be in uh, going forward. There is a massive amount of opportunity. The transformations that occur are going to be a little disruptive. It, it's hard to know exactly what's going to happen. But if you're willing to embrace that and take that on or encourage your children and your grandchildren to be focused in that direction, I think there's no shortage uh, of opportunity, both for individuals and things to do. But as these technologies come on, there's going to be a huge shift in investment opportunities. You know, what, what transformative technology companies can we be investing in? Now, you can get into this in the venture capital era, which I'm not advocating for because most of these things that, that start out will, will fail. But, but the few that succeed, as they come to market, well, Tesla's a good example. Plug is a, a, another one that's got a hydrogen battery that seem, seems to be getting some viability. There, there's going to be a number of companies that create products and solutions that are going to innovate, uh, transform, and be the winners of the computing power revolution that, that's taking place. So I would just say, uh, you know, learn what is out there, learn what these things can do and how you might apply them to your life and stay, stay positive. And if, if you want to learn more about it, two authors that I would like to point out, well, we've already mentioned Peter Diamandis, but his most recent book is The Future is Faster Than You Think, that's a good one. I'm about halfway through that. Bold is another title that he came out with. And then Abundance. And any of those three books, you can pick up and you can start from the beginning or you can just dive into uh, any one of them at any time. He'll give you a mind-altering perspective on the future and, and where things are going. If you're wondering about all of the negative news, Matt Ridley had a book probably about 10 years ago, called The Rational Optimist. And he did a look backwards at all of the doom and gloom predictions that were percolating up through the 60s, 70s, 80s, and then did the actual analysis on what what the result was. And, and, and then also tied to it what technological innovation actually solved that problem uh, before the, the, the most dire predictions of, of doom and gloom came true. So, so Matt Ridley, the rational optimist, fun, fun read. And then any of Peter Diamandis's books will, will take you deeper into this, the uh, future exponential, uh, kind of technology. So those are my recommendations. 
Very cool and good recommendations, I think. And I, I look forward to I'm adding those to my Audible list now as we speak. Yeah, the, you, you're going to have to spend all your time in, a, in an isolation chamber just taking in audiobooks now. <laughs> That's right. I hear you have quite the library and uh, lots of suggestions on the way to me. So I'm looking forward to uh, diving into those a little bit more. These are great. We're going to put links in the description of today's show where you can find those books if you want to learn a little bit more about all of that, of course. And if you've had trouble maybe even with your investing life, looking on the bright side of things and staying optimistic through some of the economic upheaval that we've had this year and the ups and downs of, uh, of the economy and everything that's gone on in 2020, don't hesitate to reach out. Brian's a positive person and uh, happy to kind of help show you that light as well and that not all is bad in the world and that there are positive things happening out there. And that can be reflected in our economic and financial plans as well. Here's a great way to interact with us here on the show and with Brian Doe and the team at LivingWorth. Go to livingworth.com. That's it, livingworth.com. And we'll put a link in the description of today's show for that. But go to livingworth.com and click on Let's Get Started. It's the big button right there on the front page. When you do that, you'll be taken to a 10-question quiz that will help determine if you are prepared for retirement. So are you ready for your retirement? Find out. Click the Let's Get Started button on livingworth.com. It'll take you through an easy quiz. That's a great way to start your retirement journey. Again, livingworth.com and click on Let's Get Started. Brian, great show today. Learned a lot and kind of excited for the future given given most of the things that we've talked about today. Yeah, I think it's going to be good. I, I would encourage everyone to check it out and do a little more uh, homework. All right. Thanks for tuning in and joining us on Make the Dough Rise. For Brian Doe, I'm Walter Sorholt. We'll talk to you next time. Make the Dough Rise is brought to you by Living Worth Wealth Advisors with a central office in Greensboro, Georgia, but serving the Lake Country and beyond. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all your favorite podcasting apps. Subscribe today and never miss an episode. Just search for Make the Dough Rise with Brian Doe. You can also visit MakeTheDoughRise.com to listen to recent episodes. If you'd like to contact the show or schedule a complimentary financial review with Brian and the team, just go to MakeTheDoughRise.com and get in touch through the website. Or call 706-451-9800. Thanks for listening to Make the Dough Rise. Investment advisory services offered through Main Street Financial Solutions, LLC. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed.